Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Brothers and sisters in Christ, um, this text for today is, is kind of the beginning of the really, really interesting stuff in Revelation. I know, we've been going through, it's been a bit of a slog all the way through all of this book of Revelation, and it's after, we are now past that part of the, of the book where there is the three sevenfold visions all talking about the same thing, big overarching vision, and we see a lot of these uh, just really powerful themes. So we're going to have one of those really powerful themes this morning when it comes to the rider on the white horse. Um, because this is about our Lord and Savior Jesus, that's the rider on the white horse, would you please stand? From Revelation chapter 19, beginning with verse 11. Then I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse the one sitting on it is called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems, and he has a name written that no one knows but himself. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood, and by the name by which he is called is the Word of God. And the armies of heaven, arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God the Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh, he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Then I saw an angel standing in the sun, and with a loud voice he called to all the birds that fly directly overhead, Come, gather for the great supper of God to eat the flesh of kings, the flesh of captains, the flesh of mighty men, the flesh of horses and their riders, and the flesh of all men, both free and slave, both small and great. And I saw the beast and the kings of the earth with their armies gathered to make war against him who was sitting on the horse and against his army. And the beast was captured and with it, the false prophet, who in his presence had done the signs by which he deceived those who had received the mark of the beast and those who worshipped its image. These two were thrown alive into the lake of fire that burns with sulfur, and the rest were slain by the sword that came from the mouth of him who was sitting on the horse, and all the birds were gorged with their flesh. This is the gospel of our Lord. You may be seated. Brothers and sisters in Christ, just a um, quick bit of uh, housekeeping stuff that I kind of need to know. Whose kid has the box for next Sunday? Somebody in here? You do. Okay. Catch me after church. We're going to delay that. But Well, I guess you don't have to catch me after church. We're going to delay that. We're going to do something special next week for the children's message because it's groundbreaking. Um, it's going to be kind of fun. But... Um, more importantly, just uh, another note, I can't say this enough, the amount of work, energy, and effort from people like Dan, Andrew Koloski was uh, nice enough to give up a, a Wednesday, Tim Alberts came in on Wednesday as well, but the, the just amazing work that from council to the build team, um, Sheila, would you please just stand up, everybody, stand up anyways, I don't care. Huge round of applause. I, 
if, if anybody in this room thinks I've been working hard on this project, I haven't. Sheila has. I give her all of my homework. That's, that's how I got through grade school, high school, college, and seminary. Give somebody else my homework, right? That's um, just an incredible job. So many details, things to chase down. It has been seriously a headache, but here we are. Ready, set, go. And there's, there's something parallel to that, to our, our text today. I bet Sheila and a lot of people have felt as though they have been wrestling with this, this gigantic beast, and it's finally being tamed. And, and I think we all struggle with that in, in some way, shape, or form, wrestling with life. It's, it's just not easy. Life doesn't come to us and, and just and, and is, is, you know, soft or, or passive. Life comes at us, and it's a challenge. And, and that challenge in life is, is something that God is inviting us to grapple with. And you're wondering, where is all this wrestling stuff coming from in our text this morning? Well, the concept I want to start with is this, this theological concept. I have to give you some background, some just preaching on in general. It is Israel reduced to one. Okay, Israel reduced to one. This is, this is who Jesus is in, in some theological respect. Imagine all of the people of God in the Old Testament, and it, it includes us too as, as part of Israel, all of the people of God essentially reduced to just Jesus. We experience this sometimes in, in our lives, in our world. We, we can kind of think about those people that sort of represent an entire group of people. Uh, I was coming up with examples in my mind uh, preparing for the sermon, like J.D. Rockefeller. Right? All of the Rockefellers, all of like the steel industry, you kind of go J.D. Rockefeller. And there's just a few other, like JFK, the Kennedys, and maybe the entire political party up to a point, and the obvious one, the best one, Martin Luther King Jr. Right? I mean, there was hundreds and hundreds of very important, very significant um, very bright, all sorts of people involved in the civil rights movement. But when you, when you just say the name and have that picture, his face in your mind, you see all of it, right? It's, he kind of stands in the place. It's, it's more than represent, right? We elect senators and, and congressmen to go and represent us. This is more than represents. This is embodiment. And, and this is one of the, the theological uh, purposes of Jesus is, is not just to represent us before, before the Father, not, not just to stand in our place, but the embodiment of all of God's people, specifically in perfection and obedience. I mean, if, if Israel had been perfect for all of those years, Jesus wouldn't have to come, right? If, if any of us were perfect, we wouldn't need Jesus. But because of our imperfection, because of our sin, he steps in and embodies us all and is then perfect, in a way, on our behalf. He's perfectly obedient to the Father. And I say all of this because in our text this morning, kind of in this, in this symbolism of revelation, there is a reference to the original Israel. Jacob was his name before 
his name was Israel. But first, let's just take a look um, at Revelation 19, verse 10. On his robe and on his thigh, he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Another one from verse 12, I don't have it on the screen because it's a little bit less closely connected. His eyes are like a flame of fire and on his head many diadems. He has a name written that no one knows but himself. So this name on his thigh and a name that nobody knows but himself. Now let's look at this text from Genesis. I believe that, that one next. Yep. When the man, this is pre-incarnate Jesus, wrestling with Jacob. In this story, Jacob is brother Esau, who he's had some strife with, is coming towards him. It's the middle of the night. The pre-incarnate Jesus sort of takes on a human body, but not born, so it's not human flesh, but he approaches and he wrestles with Jacob. When that man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he touched his hip socket. This is the same word for thigh that we had just had in our text. And Jacob's hip was put out of joint as he wrestled with him. Then he said, let me go for the day is broken. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. And he said to him, what is your name? And he said, Jacob. Then he said, your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel. For you have striven with God and with men and have prevailed. Then Jacob asked him, please tell me your name. But he said, why is it that you ask my name? And there he blessed him. Two things there, the the hip socket and the thigh and the what is your name and the man doesn't tell him, the name that nobody knows. This is drawing our attention back to this text with Jacob. And I think the, the very first thing that it does is show to us what this rider on the white horse, Israel reduced to one, what Jesus, what Jesus is doing. Not just... Um, has been doing, will do, but, but is currently right now doing, he is embodying all mankind. And in that embodiment of all of mankind, he is doing this particular specific work that really is the main thrust of this sermon today, but we're not quite ready to get into that yet either. Because I want to talk about wrestling with God. <laughs> I wrestle with God. Just as much as, as Israel wrestles uh, with God, that Jacob become Israel, but the nation of Israel wrestled with him to understand him, to obey him, to align their will with his will, to, to align themselves with his word, with his decrees, all of these things. It was a struggle for Israel, and, and I want to tell you, I understand that struggle because I have that same struggle. You all have that same struggle. There's no person ever who has been, oh yeah, there it is, God, got it. Read the Bible, I agree with all of that. (laughs) I'm good to go. I understand it all, I believe it all, and now I'm going to do all of those things. No problem. (laughs) And we have a selfish, sinful will inside of us 
that wants to grab hold of, that, that wants to get a hold of God and, and manipulate his word, his, his will. We want to manipulate him to kind of line up more with us. But, but this Lord is how I want to live. This Lord is how I think. This Lord is how I feel. So I, I want to force God into that mode. And this is why wrestling is such the, the perfect metaphor um, for all of this. And it, and it literally, it wasn't a metaphor. It was literally what Jacob was doing with God, was wrestling with him. And, and that's what wrestling is. And I, I, don't, I don't say that I'm the best wrestler who's ever lived, but I was a, I was a fairly accomplished wrestler. I, I wrestled into college. I, I was pretty good at one point. That was a long time ago, <laughs> trust me. But there's levels to this thing. And there is a certain spot where you get to in wrestling where you understand the, the, the concept of the sport behind it is sort of this imposition of your will on another person, on your opponent. And sometimes that is with, with force, with leverage, but sometimes it is in baiting. I, I can recall several different scenarios that, that you can be in in wrestling where you're not doing something to cause the other person to do something to get where you want them to be so their ankle is available, so there's a trip available, whatever it is. So there, there's this imposition of will, sometimes forcefully, sometimes passively, but the whole idea is to take a human being and put them on the ground where they don't want to be, on their back where they don't want to be, and hold them there. <laughs> it, it is the ultimate of imposing a will on somebody else. That's what's happening with, with Jacob, with Israel, and the soon-to-be Israel reduced to one in Jesus. This battle of wills. Now here's the thing. This is pre-incarnate Jesus. This is God, not in flesh that he will be one day, but this is God, God. This is all power, all might, and all authority, meaning he could just smoosh him, <laughs> right? He could just absolutely smush Jacob, but he doesn't because there's something about this wrestling with God, that is significant. Now, I've, I have run into this um, sort of power before. <laughs> there was a guy. When I was wrestling in college, he was in our conference. Um, he was a runner-up Division II national champ his freshman year. He was a Division II national champ his sophomore year, and my freshman year was his junior year. He was good. <laughs> he was, uh, he had to cut weight to get down to the weight class where I was just kind of walking around at that weight. So he was bigger than me, stronger than me. And, and I felt like just a rag doll when I, when I wrestled against him. I, I could do nothing against him. It was my goal was to just make it to the end and not get pinned. And I remember there was this one match. It was probably the fourth or fifth time I've wrestled him, right? And, and I haven't scored on this guy. I, I haven't um, done a positive thing against him other than a couple times not get pinned, but not every time, right? And, and there's this thing. It's, it's hard to describe if, you're not, if you don't understand wrestling. There's, there's some things that are just sort of bush league, 
If you don't know what I mean by that, let me try to use some other sports analogies. Like in baseball, it's the hidden ball trick. If you're familiar with baseball, that's when, you know, the guy's safe at first. The face, first baseman pretends to throw the ball back to the, the, the pitcher. Pitcher pretends to catch it, but the first baseman still has it and waits for just that lazy moment where the runner steps off and then tags him. Okay. It shouldn't work in, in major leagues. But it's like a high school thing, a junior high thing. In basketball, it's the inbound off of the guy's back who's not facing you, right? Like that, you can do that in high school every now and then. It's not going to happen in the NBA, right? So I was in a position wrestling where I did the it works in junior high, high school move, okay? So he's, he's got me locked up, and I just thought, you know, what the heck? <laughs> it, it, I might as well give it a try. There's, there's no reason not to. And in this move, I'm standing, he's got my arm locked up, and essentially what you do is you punch through, you spin blindly, now he's behind me, and I turn 360 degrees, shooting without looking, right, and just hoping he's still there, and then you, you scoop the legs, and you pull him up into a big double leg and take him down. It worked. And as I got him up and over and down and heard the ref go two for takedown, first points ever scored against him, here's what I felt and heard. This, this junior who was just, I said levels before, he's seven, eight levels above me. This is what I heard and felt. <sighs> I'm going to have to teach this kid a lesson. <laughs> From that point on, he did not pin me, but that was on purpose. He didn't pin me because he smeared me across the mat, right? Bounced my head like a basketball several times, scored every point possible without technically pinning me, and then let me just kind of ride out the last 20 seconds in bleeding in pain. In fact, I think my mom was there. My mom and dad were there for that match. It was awful, but that, that sort of helplessness and power I mean, just imagine multiplying that exponentially. Israel wrestling with God. But you know what? I, I'm just, I've got this thing in me where I would not quit. I didn't care if I was getting ragdolled. I'm not going to just lay over and get pinned. I don't, I don't care if this guy's beating the brakes off of me. I am not going to stop. I'm going to hold on. This is what Israel does. And it's my encouragement to you to wrestle with God. Wrestle with him. You're not going to beat him. Okay? <laughs> this is the thing. Jacob had no chance of, of defeating God and God going, okay, fine. I have no chance of defeating God. I have just as much chance of defeating God as I had against this kid back in, in college. I have no chance of beating him, but that's not the point. The point is to stay engaged with him. I'm not going to change God's mind about my life. I'm not going to change his path or direction for me. I'm not going to do that. But in wrestling with him, I get stronger. I find a, a depth inside of me that he has actually placed there by the power of his spirit. This is how it works, is, is God puts his spirit in us in baptism, and he gives to us a strength that we're not even aware of. And so we don't exercise it, we don't use it, we don't step out, we don't, we don't move forward in faith, we don't do those things that, that are so profound 
of the faith because we think it's going to be us that is required to do the work. And, and we look at ourselves and go, I'm, I'm going to get ragdolled in life. If I try and do these, these things of God, the ministries, the mission, the, the speaking of God, evangelism, reaching out to other people, if I try and do these things, life is going to ragdoll me. I better, just, I better just disengage from God and engage in the world and just play by the, the rules of the world. Well, to do so disengages you from him. And this is where you get those feelings of, of loneliness, of despair, of you, you feel like God has abandoned you when really you've disengaged from him. So <laughs> wrestle with God, but then understand also the power of God, or as we have for our sermon this morning, the power of the word. John in, in Revelation talks about Jesus as the word, but also in his gospel, he says that the word became flesh and dwelt among us. So this is clearly Jesus. And in Revelation 19, verse 13, it says, He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood, and the name by which he is called is the word of God. His robe is dipped in blood, not just his own. In our text this morning, we have this mighty warrior on the horse riding out to defeat the armies of evil, meaning he is, in our text this morning, portrayed in a way that I don't like. I don't like this part. This, this is where I wrestle with God. I don't like the idea of violence in God's kingdom. I don't like the idea of, of God and Christ victorious striking down those who are against him, killing those and destroying eternally those who don't believe. This is the part where I wrestle with him and say, wouldn't there be a better way? Isn't there a more peaceful way? Of, uh, and, and, I, and I struggle and I wrestle. I've wrestled with this my whole Christian life. I doubt there will ever be a day where I'm like, I'm good with it. I'm good with judgment. I'm good with God's judgment on the world. I'm never going to get there. But that doesn't mean I don't stop wrestling with him. I'm going to try my best <laughs> to convince God not to do it. I'm going to work my tail off to change his mind, expecting in the process for my heart and my mind to be changed. And that's good. It's a good thing to wrestle with God and be changed in the process. And another text we have here, Revelation 19, 21, the rest were slain by the sword that came from the mouth of him who was sitting on the horse, and all the birds were gorged with their flesh. Another one I don't like. I wrestle with this because I want everybody to be saved. I don't want anybody to go through this. It, it breaks my heart. I know people who I'm sure do not believe, and I know a lot of people that I'm unsure one way or the other. And I'm blessed to be in front of a, a whole bunch of people that I consider not just members of the church, but friends of mine who I do know 
trust and believe, and I know we'll, I will see in eternity. And, and I've performed funerals for loved ones in this quote that I, I'm excited to see at the resurrection. But I, I just want this morning for you to understand, I, I struggle with this piece as much as you guys do. I don't like this part of the text. But in my wrestling over the years, not, not literal wrestling, in, in my spiritual wrestling with God, there is something, an area in which I've grown and, and understood things a little bit better. Jesus was born into a violent world. And that violent world is a result of, of the rebellion against him. Our violence against the kingdom is what started this. Now, it's not right to say, well, not, he started it. That's not what I'm doing. But rather, the environment in which Jesus is returning is one of great violence. And we don't really appreciate that because we've got distance from it and it's sort of sanitized. We're like, well, that was back in Adam and Eve. It was so long ago and all these other things. We get desensitized to sin and we've gotten desensitized to just literal violence. I, as, a, as a hunter, I, I saw a video recently um, that both you know, made me kind of cringe and hurt my heart a little bit, but also I kind of laughed a little bit. In this video, there's, there is these people, I forget where they are, out east somewhere, I think, and there's a, a bear in their backyard killing a small deer, okay? And it, if you don't know, I'm not going to go into graphic details, but the, the deer is making terrible sounds, terrible sounds. This is part of nature. As a hunter, I know what that is. I, I do my best to avoid that. I try and make it quick and clean. Any, any responsible hunter is the same way, quick and clean, but, but bears don't think that way. They don't care. And so, so part of me, I'm cringing. I don't like it. The reason I laughed is because the people recording it were calling the police. I don't know who they thought was going to get arrested. It's, it's, it's funnier to Iowans, I think, but like if you live in a place where you don't understand and, and deal with these sort of things, that, that seems like that's wrong. that should be wrong. Somebody should do something and stop this from happening because it is horrible. It's terrible. I agree. Like that's a terrible thing that's happening, but that is what happens in this world in which we live. The bear didn't choose to be a bear. The deer didn't choose to be a deer. Nobody chose for this to be the way things work with carnivores and, and predators and prey. No, nobody designed, none of the people here designed this. None of the animals here designed this. And we do sort of wish it wasn't the way it is, right? We do sort of wish that wasn't the case, but this is what it is. And so when I read these texts and I consider the power of the word, the word of God does this thing. It brings violence and death to all of us. But here's the thing. If you believe in Jesus, who he was and what is behind his violent death, that, that he sacrificed himself he became sin. To take our sin, he became sin. And his death and then resurrection means for us the forgiveness of sins. You understand that violence a little bit different. 
The violence that the word of God does to me is to kill my sinful nature. It's to kill the parts of me that rebel against God. So every time I wrestle with God, a little bit of me dies. And it's good. Every time I'm I'm wrestling with God about how I don't like the way the world works, I don't like that he allows these things, that these people are blessed even though, and these people seem to be cursed even though, and, and I've got all of these things, and I read the texts about death and bloodshed in the kingdom of God. As I wrestle with him, part of my sinful nature that rebels, that wants to wrestle with him, dies just a little bit. This is why you don't let go. This is why you don't stop wrestling. You don't, don't give up on arguing with God. Don't give up on fighting with God. Keep at it. He is winning, <laughs> and he will win. But that's not the point. The point isn't for us to defeat God. The point is for us to engage him. In fact, the point isn't for us to defeat anyone or anything. As the last point in the sermon is, is the battle isn't yours, man. And I, I love this about our text this morning. So Revelation 19, 14 to 15, the armies of heaven arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. He will rule them with a rod of iron. These people, the armies of heaven, are not you. This fight and this battle belongs to the Lord. How many times have we sung and said that, thinking that he's just the victor in all of this? In reality, the battle belongs to him, meaning he does the fighting, not us. We are the spoils of war. We are what's being fought over. We are the treasure that God comes to scoop up and take with him, but the fighting itself is done by God and his army. And, and this is where I think some Christians sometimes go wrong. I say that because I do this wrong all the time. I'll get into a Christian debate with somebody trying to win, trying to defeat them, trying to, to say to them, no, this, I, I don't believe in evolution because of this, and here's my defense, and I'm trying to win the argument so you concede defeated, and that's dumb and wrong. Because you only, you only fight against to defeat your enemies. We don't have enemies of this world. We do not have enemies that are flesh and blood. There is no person that is our enemy. Our enemy, if we have one, is Satan and his minions, and God is fighting that battle. All the heavenly host is fighting that battle. There's absolutely times where we defend the faith. Right? We protect those who are vulnerable. We, we seek to find, and, and it sometimes looks very similar. When you're defending, sometimes it looks like offense. Right? But when you're protecting your loved ones, when there is somebody who is vulnerable and, and we are fighting, whether it's you know, legislation, laws, all that kind of stuff, or just speaking the truth, whatever it is, it's to protect somebody, not to defeat anyone. If, if they retreat and go away and, and are never convinced of the kingdom of God, that's not on you. 
If God's going to win them for the kingdom, God is going to win them for the kingdom. And it won't be us. Because we are not the warriors. Don't take that from him. I, I promise you, it, it will just give you more pain, more angst, more distress. If there's somebody in this world who needs rescue, if there's somebody in this world who needs, who, who needs the gospel, who, who needs life to change, if they, they need this, this resurrection spiritually from the dead, if there's someone like that, pray for them that God would do this work, but you're not going to fix them, you're not going to change them, you're not going to defeat them and have them break down and hit their knees and say, oh Lord, now I'm part of this kingdom. That's what God does, not what we do. And, and then recognize who you really are. This isn't your battle. You're the spoils of war. So as the spoils of war, as those who are so precious, so loved by God, that he will shed blood to rescue you. And in Revelation, like I said, I don't love it. He sheds the blood of, of evil, those against the kingdom of God. He destroys nations. I don't love any of that, but I do love that he rescues me from it. And he's not just willing to shed the blood of those who oppose the kingdom. He shed his own blood in a very violent way, bowed to the violence of this world and allowed it to overtake him, to rescue me from this world of death and destruction. Think of it in these terms, that you have been rescued, and there are, are those out there who, who need to be rescued and don't know. They're not your enemy. They are incredibly valuable. They are precious in the eyes of the Lord. We don't fight them, debate them to defeat them. We defend truth. We proclaim God's kingdom and allow the Lord to do the work, the work of redemption, the work of conversion, the work of the kingdom of God in this world that we have made so violent for a reason. Because the world that is to come at the resurrection, the world that we all anticipate is one where there is no bloodshed, where there is no violence, and there won't even be wrestling with God because our will will be perfectly aligned with his will and our hearts and minds perfectly aligned with him. And we will live in his kingdom as his children for eternity and not even have thoughts or memories of the violence of this broken world. Amen. May the peace which surpasses human understanding guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. As the kiddos come back in from Children's Church, just letting everybody know, after, uh, so starting at 11, we're going to have Omega Hour. Today we're doing Theology of Worship. Um, so we're going to talk about old school traditional worship, how worship has changed, our worship today, blah, 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 all that kind of stuff, good stuff. If you've ever wondered about that, why do we sing these songs and all that kind of, that's what we're talking about. So um, would you please stand to pray and to receive the blessing.
Heavenly Father, I thank you for uh, today. I thank you for the battle that you have won for me on my behalf, that you have rescued me from death and eternal destruction. I give you thanks. And I pray, Heavenly Father, that in this violent world, we would be voices of peace, voices of love, voices of truth. Uh, Give us strength to defend what we must. But I ask, Heavenly Father, that you would grant us the strength, first and foremost, to put down arms and to wrestle with you and you alone. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Receive the benediction. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord look upon you with his favor and give to you his peace. Amen.